The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, we have a very interesting show today because we are going to be talking with B.J. Mendelson, who's written several books on privacy, and his newest book is Privacy and How to Get It Back. B.J. Mendelson is the author of the cult classic book, Social Media is Bullshit, from St. Martin's Press, and his new book, Privacy and How We Get It Back, from Curious Reads. And so we're going to find out a little bit more about him, how he got into privacy, but he's coming to us from upstate New York, and we're just thrilled to have him. So thank you, BJ, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm going to add Snowy, upstate New York. BJ, how is it that you even got into privacy or found that is a passion of yours? You know, I found when I was researching social media is bullshit that the privacy issue kept coming up, and I didn't really deal with it as much as I wanted to in the first book. There was a lot of questions about, oh, hey, well, Facebook makes billions of dollars. Tell us about their business model. And I was talking about that. I wasn't talking about the collection of your data and what they're doing with it. So I felt like that was a pretty big error on my part, and I, I wanted to go back and correct it. So that brought me to the second book. Yeah. Well, there is so much going on in privacy nowadays. So <clears throat> there's there's a lot of questions that people might have about, you know, in this, your information is everywhere. So can you really even protect your privacy or is is that even impossible or what? So I'm, I'm a bit of an extremist in that I think it's impossible uh, and that's the bad news. The good news is that I think we're getting into a situation where we're now able to monetize our data and have some more management control over it. And so uh, the genie's out of the bottle, but you might be able to make some money for it. Yeah, and, and I know I've read about that, you know, that it's, you know, who owns our data? And obviously in Europe, uh, the actual person owns his own data. That's right. not really the case here right now, Right. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the European Union and the United Kingdom have some pretty great laws on the books in terms of managing someone's data. But here, uh, with the exception of certain states like Washington, where there's a privacy provision written into the state constitution, where it's kind of like the Wild West. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, I've talked about monetizing our data, you know, if we give it, I mean, sometimes when you go on, if you if you give your email address, they'll give you a book. I mean, I do that all the time, right? If I want an e-book that sounds interesting to me, then what I'll do is I'm willing to 
give my email address. But I, I don't care that much about it because it's all over the internet because it's my it's not my personal address, it's my business address. So I'm not as worried about that. But um and that's kind of monetizing it because I get something in return. But how else can you monetize it? Well, so we, well, we've talked about a lot, and I, I hate to use the word cryptocurrency because I know uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of a dot-com hysteria surrounding that field right now. But the technology is actually now there where we can actually monetize your time and pay you for it. So if you visit the website, instead of getting bombarded with these creepy ads that are you know, eating your battery and slowing down your internet and doing all sorts of funky things to your computer, we could actually compensate you through the use of a cryptocurrency and say, well, you spent 15 minutes on the New York Times and that 15 minutes is worth X amount of dollars and uh, you can pay them and vice versa. Let's say if you want to go to like a Tesla website or something and you're looking at their cars, they could pay you for your time. So uh, for the first time, the technology is actually there in place where we can look at how people spend their time on the internet and say, okay, well, we can actually compensate you for that. Yeah, I just wonder about the loopholes in that, or people will go on there and they won't really spend their time doing anything and they really don't do anything to, you know, uh, give something. You know, I mean, for me, if I, for example, and I haven't done this, but I think it's a good idea, let's say I would um, ask a query and say, if you answer this, you know, that'll be good toward buying my book or something like that. Right. Um, and, and that seems fair because I'm really getting some value back and forth. But I think some of this pay you for your time, it just, it doesn't seem, I don't know, maybe I'm just a skeptic. <laughs> Which is good, honestly. You know, I, when I researched the privacy book, one thing I did was I just stuck to the facts. Uh, I'm of the opinion that the technology is there and it could work, but you're absolutely right. Someone could game it. Uh, it reminds me of, I'm a big basketball fan, so it reminds me a lot of the discussion every year about the draft and the way it operates, where if a team deliberately tanks their season, they get a high draft pick. And the response from the NBA was, well, you know, we can't really fix it, because if we did, people would find a way to game it. So there's, there's always going to be people who are going to screw around and, uh, and unfortunately game systems like that. But I think that's not the majority of people. And I'd like to be, I, I, you know, I am a skeptic like you in terms of, all right, well, is this actually going to work or is Facebook need to give us an annual license fee, which is the alternative option uh, that's been floated. But I'd like to see actual discussions take place as opposed to just dismissing the idea outright. And I think that's sort of been the problem up until this point because Paying people for the data is not a new idea. It's been around since 2000. Uh, it was popularized again in 2011 by Jerome Lanier, and uh, now I'm out there banging the drum for it. But uh, the problem has always been the technology hasn't been there to, to do something. So I'm saying, let's give it a shot. At, at the very least, let's try it and see what happens. Yeah. And I think transparency is the issue. Like if someone asks for my, let's say I, they say this, you're going to get this free ebook, right? And let's say I want it. And um, I know it's real clear to me that if I give my email address, that they can use it to send me emails afterward. Okay, that's real clear. I think what's not clear is like when you're on social media and you think you have this platform and people are surreptitiously gathering data about you when you don't even realize it, right? So is 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 that an issue that you're concerned about? 
I think so. I spent a good portion of the book talking about that. Uh, the good news is there's been legal precedent involving companies like LinkedIn uh, where they were originally going through your address book and then spamming everyone in it, uh, saying that you had just signed up to LinkedIn and wanted to invite them, and ultimately they had to settle out of court for that practice. So the good But news you know is they're the, still doing it because it happened oh, oh, to course. me? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I have no doubt. I mean, here's, so here's the, here's the problem, right? Even though we, we do see settlements like that, you have lots of 19, 20, 21-year-olds who have billions of dollars being dangled in front of them, and so they're going to do whatever it takes to make that money, and that act absolutely involves accessing your data and harnessing it in the ways that you have no idea. Yeah, so that happened to me with LinkedIn, and I wrote to them because I had some people, even my secretary, who knows me very well, and she said she got spammed. Oh, a, an invitation from me, which she knows I did not invite her. And right. other people's, you know, signed up and I did not invite them. And this is after the lawsuit, the class action was was settled. You know what's crazy, though, is so the thing I talk about in the book is that we have mostly given the tech companies a slap on the wrist in terms of regulation, in terms of their behavior. They've, they've paid fines, they've settled out of court, but... At no point has there really been, I feel anyway, some teeth right. uh, that's been applied. And so I think that's what we're seeing with LinkedIn, where, you know, to them, what is $13 million? It's a, it's a drop in the bucket. You know, when Microsoft purchased them for who knows how much it finally turned out to be, uh, that was nothing. Right. And I- so as long as we kind of go, ho, 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 you guys are so funny and cute, and, um, and we believe the line that if you regulate us, you're restricting innovation, then they're going to get away with doing stuff like that. So that's something I really hit home on in the book. I talk about how on the state level, on the city level, I think it's important to push for legislation and say, you know, enough is enough. Our data should be, we should be able to manage our data and have a say in terms of what you do with it. Right. And, you know, the federal regulators, like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that just got pretty much gutted. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the Federal Trade Commission as well. And, you know, this administration doesn't seem to be privacy conscious, as we can see, at least so thus far. And that privacy commission that was advising pretty much is is kind of defunct as well. So I think it's going to have to be people like you and me and all consumers demanding, you know, or refusing to give information. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're right. I think we're going to have to get legislation. I happen to live in a very privacy-conscious state, and so I'm hoping that um, we still have that our legislature is on the blacklist of the Trump administration. So so uh, hopefully um, we'll be able to do something. But what about those of us who really love to do Facebook? What do you tell us? You know, especially like my generation, the baby boomer seems to get a kick out of being able to, like I I just connected with um, old roommates from college. And, and there's some benefits to social media, but you say social media is bullshit. So Talk about that. <laughs> sure. So there's a, there's a couple of things uh, to that point. The first is that if you enjoy using Facebook, uh, you should absolutely use it. I by no means am looking to dissuade people from using the platform in terms of connecting the people one-to-one. Where I start to have issues and get a little finicky is where, uh, like right now, Facebook is doing a big push saying, hey, are you a freelancer? 
you should set up a Facebook business page, which is really code for you should set up a page that no one will see unless you give us money uh, <laughs> to actually put it out there. So that's, that's where I've really focused a lot of my research in saying, you know, the Facebook advertising can work in certain instances, but you know, in many cases it's overrated. A lot of people dump money into it, but it's much like playing the lottery. And so when I say social media is bullshit, I, I talk about the way we think of these tools as opposed to what they actually are. So Facebook is great if you're connecting with friends and family or maybe people that you're acquainted with at work, but it, it's not so great despite their proclamations saying otherwise uh, for advertising and promoting yourself. Yeah, yeah. I have um, a personal page, and then I do have one for my book, um, actually one for a couple books. And so I have several fa Facebook pages to connect, and um, we've done some advertising. It hasn't been great, but I think just having it out there, it's a free website page, you know? Sure, yeah. So, um, if you look work. at it like that and don't spend a fortune on advertising. Right. You're exactly right. I mean, and I talk about that in the book. I said the only time that I feel you should advertise on social media is just for awareness, just so people kind of see it and they'll, they'll see your name out there so that they're less, they're less reluctant to follow through on whatever pitch they actually do get from you. Yeah. And so as long as you're on a budget, like you said, I, I think that that's absolutely brilliant. And that's fine. That's, I don't have a problem with that at all. I, right. I, I do have a problem with millions of dollars, and I, I've seen this firsthand, uh, just being spent on social because other people are spending it on social. Right, right. And I think in this day and age, you know, social media marketing is, you know, we've tried. I have a YouTube page. I have one for my business, and I have one for my book. And, you know, uh, we don't get much from that. I guess if you were getting you know i mean you have to recognize that that's free again <laughs> right so um if it's free and you have the time and you have fun doing it but don't expect to get rich that way unless you've got something that you were on television or something a lot of people knew and then they you know go on to your youtube page and their uh subscribers and stuff so that's exactly right social media is great if you're a celebrity yeah. Um, but if you're not a celebrity, then it's a little bit like playing lottery. Yeah. Sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't. Right. So, yeah, trying to figure all that out. <laughs> so um, is, is Facebook really listening to conversations or sharing the conversations that we have on there? So the answer is yes, but not in the way. Uh, there's a little bit of an urban myth, right, that Facebook is constantly listening to everything you say and do, uh, regardless of whether or not you're using the app. That part isn't true, but what is true is if you have Facebook open, it does ask for permission to use your microphone when you first install it, and it, at that point it is recording anything that you might say. So yes, but not necessarily like in that. Uh, well, I guess it still is creepy no, no matter how you describe it, but uh, yeah. it's, not, it's not always listening in the sense of if you put your phone down and walk away, um, it's spying on you. It's just when you have the Facebook app open. Wow, I I don't remember ever seeing that, or I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, they don't. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things they they don't want to share. They'll give you. I mean, they're they're doing a nice push right now because the GDPR of reminding people, hey, you have privacy controls and you can control who sees your posts. But what they don't tell you is, you don't have control over the information that Facebook consumes. So if you enter something into a status field and then you delete it, they're still logging your keystrokes. 
Mm. I mean, that, that, that's an example of data they, that they have that they don't necessarily go and tell you about. So when you give Facebook permission, when you give the app permission to access your microphone, uh, whether you're using Messenger or some other feature on the app, uh, you're giving it access in perpetuity as long as you're using the Facebook app, which means at any point they could just turn on the mic and collect your data. So wow. uh, again, you know, there's no there's no teeth to any. You know, we've slapped them on the wrist for this under under the Obama administration. The FTC was kind of like you know they they wagged their finger at them and said naughty naughty, and they paid a small fine and then that was it. Um, we just we really do need to push for some kind of legislation on a local level uh, to put a stop to that. So, BJ, what if you do like a um, a little video that's got audio on it for Facebook and that goes up on there? So, does that mean that they that they have permission to listen? And other times, if you do a little, if you upload a little audio video. Oh yeah, I mean that's true for anything that you put in the cloud, no matter the service. Um, you should absolutely assume that if you upload something, whether it's a Dropbox or a, a video to Facebook or YouTube or what have you, uh, they absolutely have access to that data and probably have some algorithm running, you know, running like a keyword search on on the words that you're using. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, what I tell people in the book is that if it, if it's if you have access to the internet. Regardless of the device, um, you can safely assume that someone either is or can be listening to everything you you do with that connection. Yeah. Well, if I'm putting up um, an audio video, you know, about conflict or whatever I'm doing it on, that doesn't worry. What would worry me is like capturing my voice to right. do identity theft, you know, because that's another one of my my expertise over the years and is, you know, or just using that instead of other kind of biometric information and somehow manipulating that and say I bought X when I didn't buy X, you know. Right. I mean, you, you know, fraudsters can do a lot of different things. So I just kind of thought of that when I thought, well, if they're capturing that and keeping it or anybody can go on my YouTube and start using my voice. So, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's not fun. Let me just <laughs> tell <laughs> let me tell my audience that we're talking to B.J. Mendelson, who is the author of the cult classic book Social Media is Bullshit from St. Martin's Press and his new book that we're talking about now privacy and how do we get it back from curious reads so um one other thing you were talking when we're talking about this kind of uh, surveillance uh you talk about putting a tape over your webcam could you yeah or post a note (laughs) yeah um yeah so what i what i tell people is uh it's not paranoia because we know for a fact that the nsa was actually looking at people's pictures uh, and taking pictures through the webcams, according to the documents that were leaked out from Edward Snowden. So one of the easiest and safest and actually fastest things you could do to protect your privacy is just putting a post-it note or a piece of tape over your laptop's camera. And regardless of who might be watching you on the other end, whether it's the government or a hacker or one of the websites that you're visiting, uh, that can provide you some element of security. Yeah. my I have an exterior webcam because I wanted a better... Uh, you know, a, a better camera. So it comes with a cover that I keep on all the time as well. So that's, that, that's another thing that I thought was a good idea. So how about the browsers? Which browser is the most secure? <laughs> uh, I would like to say none of them, but there there is an answer. Uh, there's a, there, there is a browser right now called Brave, and there's also one 
uh, out there called Tor, but Tor I found is a little difficult for people to to go and use and figure out how to how to best get uh, some mileage out of it. So if you're a more sophisticated listener, yeah, I recommend Tor. But for everyone else, uh, I do recommend the Brave browser. So and it's B R A V E. That's right. So it's Brave. You know, it's spelled exactly as it sounds. Um, they've got a lion logo. And what's cool about that is that that's actually implementing what I was talking about earlier with the, the cryptocurrency that would pay you for your time and vice versa. You can pay a website for the time you spend on it. Uh, it's the same team that's working on the Brave browser that's working on that. So uh, what Brave does is it essentially shuts down all of the trackers mm. that would, would bombard you. Uh, and it's not in Google's interest to do that. So if you use Chrome, uh, you are giving up tons of data. If you're using Mozilla Firefox, uh, you're giving up less data, but there's still some weaknesses that they're working on. So Brave is sort of like that uh, consumer-friendly, easy-to-use browser that shuts down as much of the creepiness as they can. So what about with net neutrality? Um, is Brave going to have a problem with net neutrality? Oh, I think we're all going to have a problem. <laughs> with, I've already uh, noticed some things when I'm trying to search. Have you noticed anything already? Yes. Um, I, it was not coincidental that my Internet, as soon as they got the green light to do that, uh, it became much, much slower, and then we got bombarded with, hey, you know, for 15 bucks a month, you can get faster Internet. Um, oh. Yeah, I have no doubt uh, that that was not a coincidence. So it's unfortunate that we're going to have to deal with this. I think the only solution is city city sponsored broadband, which is available in some parts of the country, but not it's not quite widespread just yet. But again, it's sort of the same thing with privacy, where uh, if we don't push for regulation, you know, the telecoms and tech companies will just get away with as much as they can. Yeah, but I notice even like when I'm on Google and I'm searching. And I'll search for something, and I'm having trouble finding. I know it's there, and I know I just forgot the URL. And I, it's like I can't find it. It takes me way pages to, to find it. And that's ever since they made that change. So it, there's definitely there's definitely some slowness going on. And uh, yeah, I I would not doubt at all, uh, depending on who your internet provider might be or whoever you know is listening, who their internet provider might be. Yeah, uh, that that shenanigans are going down. Yeah, like I have Cox Cable, <clears throat> the fastest that there is, you know, from from them, and I'm and I'm having these problems. I guess I should talk to them. So, how about the messaging apps? Which one of those is the most secure? So, the, the most secure is one called Signal, but there's always an asterisk uh, with the messaging apps. So, even when they say they're secure, they might not be. For example, a lot of people thought sending new photos through Snapchat was safe and secure, despite the fact that all the photos were being saved on Snapchat servers. And then uh, once there was a security breach, whoops, all those photos came out. So um, the asterisk is there to remind us that it might be secure now, it might, might not be secure tomorrow. Um, but Signal is the best app to send things as privately as we can. Uh, there's other things you could do. There's PGP encryption, but I, I don't advocate that kind of thing because I, I think that most people it's going to be frustrating and difficult for them to utilize it. Right, right. Uh, whereas just Signal, you can download it and off you go. Uh, WhatsApp is also good, but you got to remember that WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. So no matter how encrypted they tell you it is, uh, you just have to keep in the back of your mind who owns it and who pays the bills. Mm. How about an ad blocker? Which Do you have any recommendations? Um, 
I would grab whatever's on the ESF website, the Electronic Frontier uh, Foundation. Yeah. So there's Privacy Badger, which which is one that I use. Uh, but there's there's all sorts of great ad blockers. The problem is is that some of them are a little sketchy with their business model, and what they'll do is they'll charge companies in order to access you. Uh, so even if you have the ad blocker installed, you might still see ads from that company, uh, regardless of anything you think or want, because the ad blocker is getting money to do so. So um, I would use whatever's on EFF.org, but I would, if you really want to block ads and not have to worry about something as sophisticated as Tor, I recommend the Brave Browser. Wow. And um, how about, um, let's see. What about people who say, you know what, I want to just delete my social media accounts. I, I don't even want to be out there. What do you say to that? Uh, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, so uh, the example I use is I know this guy who used to work for the DOD. So uh, he lives, and this is no joke, he lives in an underground bunker. He hoards silver, and he has never really used social media. But you can still find photos of him within Facebook's uh, photo directory. Huh. That's because people have taken pictures at events he might have been at, and then Facebook has the largest facial recognition data set anywhere in the world in terms of recognizing who people are. So even if you want to delete yourself, you have to remember what you're up against. And so this guy uh, who's living underground and is as hidden as he tries to be is still in Facebook's database. And so I, I don't think it's entirely possible to delete ourselves, uh, which is which takes me back to, okay, well, if that's, if that's the situation, then at the very least you should be compensated in some way for your data being used the same way celebrities are. Yeah. So, you know, I was, um, being a lawyer, I went to a, a program on, and I actually had a radio show on your social media after you die, you know, because if, oh, yeah. that's, that's a huge issue because if everybody has all this social media, what do you do when you pass on, you know? And so I wondered what you had, what thoughts you had about that. Because I worry about, again, identity theft of the deceased. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize. So there's ways that you can set up Facebook currently uh, where if you pass on, then you can pass the account on to, like, a family member. Mm -hmm. But they make it so obscure to find that most people don't even realize that's an option. And it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, in my own, in my own story, uh, I almost died a few years back. And I was lucky enough to ah. not, otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. But, Thank goodness um, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> but my first thought was, you know, I, I, well, not my first thought, but one of the thoughts I had was, you know, I had this Twitter account with 700,000 followers. Um, nobody has access to that. You know, I, I have all the security settings turned way up. So that account would just go dark. And then what if someone did access it? So uh, there are steps you can take. Unfortunately, the tech companies are not terribly responsive, but um, we have seen with enough pressure that they'll give you the information you need so that if you do pass on, uh, a family member can come in and access it. Again, it's all about making these tools more transparent Yeah. and, and saying, look, if, if someone in your family dies and they have Facebook, this is what you do, as right. opposed to just completely burying that. Right. So what do you think about LastPass? So I've got LastPass um, for my, you know, password manager. And um, so my son knows the password so that, you know, if he, if he needs to get in there. So what do you think about LastPass? Is it safe? I, I, I worry about even that, you know. <laughs> uh, I would say it's not. 
<laughs> I would say yeah. it's, it's more. So what the general consensus is with stuff on the internet, uh, it's it's probably safer than most things. But there's always that caveat of, you know, if it is an internet service, it can probably be hacked. Yeah. Uh, if, it hasn't, if it hasn't already been hacked. So I think I it do, was hacked, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm a little old school, and my advice to people is to actually put their passwords in a notebook. <laughs> you know, and then like lock it in a locked cabinet, right? <laughs> there you go. Um, well, maybe maybe not the extra stuff, but at least keep keep your important stuff offline. Yeah. So you, you can access it, your family can access it, but no one else has it. And then make sure to change your passwords once a year. As long as you're doing that, again, nine times out of ten, you're fine. Um, unless something like Experian or uh, Equifax hack, hack happens, in which yeah. you're not fine. Right, right. Well, we have only a couple minutes left. I, I heard that you're giving away free copies of your first book, uh, Social Media is Bullshit. So can I have my audience know how they can get that? Of course. If they go to bjmendelson.com, they'll find my cell phone number on the contact page. All they have to do is text me the word sheetrock. Uh, it's spelled exactly as it sounds, sheetrock. If you text me that to the Wait, cell will you phone spell number. Wait, will you spell that sure. for S-H-E-E-T-R-O-C-K, sheetrock. It's, okay. it's the code. The official code word, if you send that code word to the cell phone number, and yes, that is my actual cell phone number, uh, I will send you a free copy, a free PDF copy of Social Media is Bullshit. Okay. Well, and I just want to let my audience know before we leave that you have your new book, and so why don't you tell what that is and how they can get that? Sure. So the new book is Privacy and How We Get It Back. Uh, You can find it at yourprivacybook.com. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much, and keep up all the wonderful work that you're doing in privacy, and hopefully there's a little bit left that we can uh, we can manage, okay? I hope so. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.